You're listening to Inside You with Michael Rosenbaum. You guys, thanks again for listening. We've had some great guests. I just, I loved having Elvira on the show. It's fun to talk to people who you really, sort of your role models or you looked up to them or you were just excited about them, you know, as a child and then getting to sit across them in your own house and, and talk to them and asking them the questions that I, I hope you guys would ask if you were sitting here because I'm more like a fan than I am an actor. I think you guys know that about me by now. If you're a first time listener, please subscribe. Um, it really helps and spread the word, tweet, Instagram, you know, inside of you podcast on Instagram. And uh, we've got a great guest today. A uh, good friend of mine, he was on Smallville. He was on Hell on Wheels. This is Anson Mount. He's on the new Star Trek Discovery. People are just going crazy over this guy. Uh, he's such a great guy, and he's so charitable and wonderful to talk to. And he's got a podcast, so we sat down and chatted about old times and new times, and I think you're going to enjoy this. This is Anson Mount. Let's get inside Anson Mount. It's my point of view. Listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. Here we go. You do look good. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, Captain Pike. <sighs> All right, radio voices. Is, it, is this go. how you want to sit? Because you can move that thing anywhere you want, the mic. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. We yeah, can, well, if I'll... your back starts hurting like mine, you can just lounge <sighs> back. It goes back. Oh, man. Getting old sucks, doesn't it? Dude, I'm older than you. What are you, 40? I know, and you look like you're 32. That's not true. It, no, it, it, it literally you know, is. You know what the thing is? I don't get gray hairs. Ah. And, and I'm using these silicone things under my eyes in the morning. It just takes you put them on for about 45 minutes. My friend Deneen got them. Uh-huh. Uh, if anybody wants to tweet, you know, she could send you some of these things. She's not my sponsor. She's just a good friend. Yeah. But you put these things under your eyes. I'm not kidding because I'm Puff Daddy in the morning. Uh-huh. And you put these things under your eyes. And an hour later, it's not one of those things with the chemicals in it. And it's, oh, it's got soothing aloe. It's mm. just these silicone. Th- whatever the fuck it is, I need it. <laughs> you don't get bags under your eyes. I do actually. You do. What do you Sometimes do for bags when it's really? I have a really early call. I don't know. They the the last makeup team I was working with gave me some, uh, this like tube that had like a metal ball at the end of it. And you're supposed to keep it in the refrigerator. And don't you roll it around under your eyes? Yeah. You, you think that works? It did for me. Yeah, yeah. But then I forgot about it. It's probably still there. Do you sleep well? I do. I do sleep pretty well, except like uh, light and sound bothers me. So I, you know, I've got this English bulldog that snores like a jackhammer, and uh, she can't be in the room with us. Yeah, she has to be downstairs. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, Rob's gonna take a few photos, so don't be distracted. Hey, Rob. You know, there was one actor here who was a little distracted with uh, the pictures that were being taken. I'm not going to use any names, but he was just like, what, what's going on? I'm like, he's taking pictures. What the fuck's doing? What do you mean what's going on? It's like, well, I, I thought he was going to throw a Christian bail. No, I'm fucking doing an interview right now. Why are you taking pictures? Thank you for allowing me to be inside of you today, Anson. Oh, Michael, you've been inside of me a long time, actually. Have I? You have. How long have yeah, we known each God, other? Too long. How old were we when we did that movie? Pool Hall Junkies with... Uh, Wait, I was in my 20s, I think. Christopher Walken, Chaz Palminteri, Rick Schroeder, or is it Ricky? Rick, now. It was Rick. Who I loved, by the way. Oh, yeah. He that was dude, great. we got behind the... Remember when we like we got behind the gun, we're shooting at like three in the morning, we have limited amount of time, and Rick, Rick just starts picking up... Uh, he starts picking up instruments and 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 monitors and moving them around let's go let's go let's get this done he was yeah he was, he was very helpful he was very he was an indie filmmaker wasn't he i guess so and, and yeah, mars yeah. mars callahan mars. directed the movie yeah. and i remember uh you know you remember i think you were with me when i was like hey i did check this out because i went up to walk and i was like hey should i call you chris should i call you mr walking i'm excited to work with you call me flash <laughs> no that's right remember that and then you like and then you, well do you remember how i met him no, what'd you do? Oh, you don't. You you'll remember the story when I start telling it. Remember his first day of work. I wasn't working that day. I'd, I'd been. You just wanted to watch things. him work. Yeah, I just wanted to come in and walk and walk and do his stuff. So I'd been out shopping or some shit. I don't know. So I, I come in and I'm in uh, that huge house that they had rented that overlooked the Tabernacle, and in Salt Lake City, and and I'm in this big house and watching and the camera's rolling and it's on walking and when i have to preface this story by saying at the time my phone played la cucaracha so oh, i'm standing there watching him work and sure enough from my pocket 
During his lines? Dur- yeah. Your face could have, had to be redder than the ran tip of my penis. Oh, dude, I ran outside, and I'm just, I'm pacing up and down that porch thinking, you idiot, you idiot, how could you have done this? It's the only time it ever happened to me. I got to go and face the music. So I walked in, they're between setups, and Chris is over there in the corner with Mars, who's directing, and, and Mars just, just looks over at me, and he's just shooting daggers, and I'm, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he's like, all right, and he kind of points to walk, and I'm like, fuck. So I go over to walk in. And uh, I say, so I'm the asshole with the phone and everybody stops moving. <laughs> the grip stopped moving. The electrician stopped hanging. Like, like the, the room just goes silent because everybody wants to hear what Walken's going to say. Can I me. guess what he said? You asshole. <laughs> no. I mean, I'm professional. I can't believe Fuck. you don't remember this. He says to me, he I looks can't. straight at I me. Do you remember the story? Though. And he says, what are these cell phones? have to have all these songs why can't they just ring <laughs> and the whole room just burst out laughing so right i said there. oh my god oh my god thank you so much oh that's sweet yeah because he's very intimidating do you remember the, the he walked on set one day because he only had him for like i think a week yeah mars had him for a week and he got like a million bucks or something whatever the rate was it was half the budget of the movie and he comes out and he just he looks pissed off his face is right he says mars to the director, today's my last day. And he walked out, and everybody's like, oh, my God. He's, Mars is like, I better go talk to him. Mars is freaking out. It's the directorial debut. So that was an experience. We shot the movie. It's a little independent movie if you ever want to watch it. People people still come up to me and go, hey, I love Paul Junkies. It's not many people, <laughs> but I still, like, if I go to these conventions or whatever. And it was one of those movies that was a special time, right? Oh, yeah. We had we a were, really we good were time. We were wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and optimistic. Before the business came crashing down on our souls. Jesus. And then what? The next time you were a guest on Smallville. The next <laughs> time we right. worked together. That's right. You remember yeah, that? Yeah, we yeah, were running yeah. around the train. That, that was, was fun. I had actually. to kill you, didn't I? That was a lot of fun. That was fun. I remember being like three in the morning, four or five in the morning, chasing yeah. your dumb ass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm bald and cold as shit. <laughs> and I'm chasing you through these trains. When we had a budget, we used real trains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember we ran into real issues on the in those trains with the angles and the cameras and us in a fight scene in that one aisle. It was very difficult to figure it out, actually, but we got it done. And didn't you test for Lex Luthor? I did. Long you ago. almost got it, didn't you? Because Zach mm-hmm. Levi always tells me the story like he almost got it. But you really were close, too, weren't you? Were you like the guy? <laughs> well, I had very, very short hair at the time. I, get, I think maybe that helped. But you did you you tested for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you bummed you didn't get it? It wasn't really what I wanted to do at the <laughs> Were time. Were you bummed you didn't get it? Like, it says <laughs> the guy who got the role. But you, this is how it goes. I see guys who got the role that I auditioned for all the time. I mean, it was, mm. just, you know, I was. It was a lucky thing for me. Do you you get those things where you're just you feel lucky, where you feel like I don't give a shit, and you go in and you just kill it because you don't care. Yeah, that's that's funny how that works, isn't it? Did you have to audition for Hell on Wheels? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody went in for Hell on Wheels. Who? who when they else? showed me the stat, when they showed me the stacks of the headshots, give me a couple. Like, give me a couple names and we're. Oh, I don't know. I didn't ask. I didn't want to know. You didn't want to know. I just happened to fit a very specific bill that they were looking for. They want. They wanted an American, and particularly they're looking for someone from the American South. So. And and they wanted a man. Well, yeah. Well, your grandfather was a Confederate soldier, correct? A colonel, great, 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 great grandfather was a was a, a cavalry colonel. Yeah, still have his uh, military composite, but it, it's it's photo tinted and and it's so old that the that the chemicals have now turned him green. <laughs> what was his name? I don't remember. He wasn't a mount. No, he was a league. A league. Yeah, somebody in the family still has the piece of paper that listed everything that was in his pockets when he got shot. Did you say that in the audition? Yeah, my great great grandfather was uh because it's, it kind of takes place post Civil War, right? The it's reconstruction is right after the Civil War, yeah. Right. Yeah. Did you have to do a lot of research for that shit? Like I wouldn't know what I to do. I didn't I don't think I necessarily had to, but I did uh just to calm my nerves. Were you uh, nervous? I, I Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, I love hearing that because I get definitely. nervous about everything. Yeah. I wake up nervous. How can you not be? I meditate and during the meditation I'm nervous. It's a very expensive enterprise that's all coming down to one moment where a camera's pointed at your face. But no, I I read this great book, Nothing Like It in the World, 
by Stephen Ambrose, who wrote Band of Brothers. Right. Which and, I tested for and didn't get. Really? Yeah. For sure. And it was it's supposed to be his only non-military subject and then you read it you realize oh it's actually a military subject because all these guys had had come from the civil war. Right. And they were out of work and they needed a job and it was run like a military enterprise. And uh and on the back the backs of uh of graft and corruption. Uh, it would not have been built without graft and corruption. It seems like everything is built from. Oh, that. it was just. I mean, if you look blatant. at it, there's a book about the real history of the United States or whatever, and it tells you the real stories how we were, how we came together. Yeah, the oh, dark yeah. side that they don't teach in history, well, all the, all the like center. how we treated people and the real Christopher Columbus and what he did. And nice guys don't just come and go. Hey, we're going to take your ter- <laughs> your land, and then. I mean, even from the beginning of like, yeah. And then we're going to invent this thing called Thanksgiving. We're always sitting down and celebrate each other. <laughs> exactly. I mean, look at Polk, yeah, right? No. You want to know some history, Rob? You know who Polk was? President Polk? He's from Tennessee. Yeah, they called it Polk's War. You know what Polk did? He took all the land, which was Mexico, which is California now, and all this, I think, two million square miles we stole from Mexico. Oh, yeah. There's that much, much all more. All of California. We basically oh, yeah. just marched in and said, okay, it's ours. Yeah. I don't think we did it in a nice way. We forced them to sign a contract that they really didn't want to do. But uh, by that, by the way, that's Rob. Have you met Rob? Yeah. <laughs> no, you just walked in. Did you not meet him? Hey, buddy. Rob, How are you? <laughs> Rob's pretty rad. So, hey, man, you you see, my always what I always loved about you is, and it was intimidating, is you know until I got really got to know you. But your disposition, you've always been like. You seem like you're so together. You're so reserved. You're so well spoken and articulate. It's intimidating to a, a fool like me who's just always just like, oh man, you know, I'm just always doing something funny. I got to get approval. I got to get, you know, I'm like, I want people to like me. I got to do this. How, you know, and so meeting you on the set, I'm like, oh, this is a, a good looking dude. He's got his shit together. Where, where did you train? You trained for acting in where? Uh, I did my master's at Columbia. Master's at Columbia. I went and look. I love the school, but I went to Western Kentucky University. That's a good program. It had a great program, and it helped me out. I, I got a little more confidence, but I was intimidated when I met you. And really? I, well, you were just like I said. You were very trained, huh? So that surprised me. It's like you know, you come to scenes in the scene in the moment, and you're you're there. But I realized once we started talking that you were just a regular dude. You were fun, mm. but you are you're focused. Do you feel like you're always focused, or can you goof around? Like they say, Leonardo DiCaprio in that movie uh, Gilbert Grape. They say that he would like before he got doing that role, they'd be rolling, rolling, rolling. He's like fucking around with everybody, and then action, and he'd just jump into the character. Can, can you do that? I've gotten better at that. Yeah, I was just doing I was just doing a job up in uh, Santa Barbara County. Who was with it? this um, little known uh, actor? Uh, he hasn't done a lot. Named Tony Hopkins, and I think he's got a big future ahead of him. Wait a minute, but Anthony Hopkins? Yeah, you yeah. Just worked with Anthony Hopkins, and but here's the here's why I tell this story, not to name drop. Of course, I'm name dropping, but uh, he is so ebullient and he is he's so funny. He's full of so many great old film and theater stories. The hardest part of the job was to get refocused when when we were about to do another set. Because he's constantly fucking around. Yeah. And if I wasn't if I hadn't gotten to the point where I was confident enough to just let the work go for a second and listen, uh, I would not be enjoying my job as much. I might have quit by now. You can't maintain that level of, of focus, I think, and enjoy what you do, but you do have to get yourself to the point where you can switch it on and off. And I think it's a I think it's a mentally healthy thing to be able to do. Well, you know, that's kind of the thing I have to do. So, I mean, there's times when I have a big speech or something I have to say. But for me, I have to be playing. I have to be having fun. I have to be mm-hmm. in an environment that's fun. And sometimes you're with actors who don't want to do that. That's not how they work. Mm-hmm. They're focused. They're sitting in their chair reading Nietzsche. And it and it and you know it's it's surprising. You'll you'll meet actors who are who are more known for their comedy than their drama who are also like that. Yeah. And it's and I and I look to each his own. I respect it. It's not the easiest thing to do and be good at. I kind of would like to enjoy my job. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever uh, come on when you're working with Hopkins? I mean, I would have had to ask him something about Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> Uh, Any movie, you know what's? Oh, you know what's funny? He told me a story about how uh, when he was a little boy, his mother owned a shop in Wales, and uh, 
and Richard Burton was from the same area. He would come in every now and then. And he remembers there's a little boy seeing Richard Burton saying, I want to do what that man does. And years later, he was telling me he was doing Equus on Broadway and Burton came to see it. And then Burton decided he wanted to take over the role. And he came and saw it again and was in Hopkins' dressing room and said, oh, I remember you. You were the young boy who couldn't speak so good. And I said, yes, yes. And he said, well, how are you? And I said, well, I'm fine. And the whole time I'm thinking, my God. How did this happen? And and I said and I said I'm very glad you told me that story because I remember going to see Silence of the Lambs when I was a senior in high school like it was yesterday. Oh yeah. And it could easily have been so intimidating to work with him if he wasn't so self-effacing and, and cool. just a lovely human yeah. being. He's one of the nicest people I've ever worked with. Well, dude, I would see I would have been like a kid in a candy store because while you were going to prom because you were you're a handsome guy, you probably went to prom. Am I right? I did. Yeah, you probably I went did. to Santa Switch. I didn't have a date to senior prom. Is that true? Did not have a date. Yeah. You just went to prom solo. Yeah. On solo. And my girlfriend at the time and I broke up a few days before prom. And you went anyway. I went and I got the tuxedo I wanted. And then me and my buddies, who also didn't have dates because we were losers, we went to Taco Bell. We went and played miniature golf. And then Raw's hell. Prom. It was great. Rob, did you go to prom? I didn't go to my prom, but I went to my ex-girlfriend's prom. Really? Did you get laid that night? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds very memorable. It's just the question. It's like, I don't want to answer that. Um, but, you know, I while you were doing all that stuff, I just remember I have to memorize a scene from... You have that phrenology statue. Yeah, I think everybody same does. statue on the set of Hell on Wheels. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Phrenology, yeah. It's a little uh, human head with all the parts of the brain, the, the hypothalamus and the... I think the hypothalamus and the, uh, the cerebral cortex. I'm well, not they, even they, looking at it. I just know the, these things. There, in the 19th century, there were, there were physicians who thought that they could determine a person's personality from the shape of their skull. What do you think about me? Because I have a huge head and I have this big occipital bone in the back. So I don't know. I, but I have always been jealous of the shape of your head. Why? Because I, my mother laid me on my back too much as an infant and the back of my head's like flat. Yeah, but I have like a big bump on there, like a matrix bump. I've got like a huge. People always tell me how big my head is. Rob does Do they consistently. Really? Well, I think I, you were, I think they were talking about your ego. No, no, I have a long <laughs> face. I have like you know, it's like it's who I am. It's like I can't change. By the way, do you have one quote from Silence of the Lambs that you just love? I'm only doing that because I have one. What is it? He wants to be a I just remember being like 17 or 18 years old and memorizing. I don't even. It's not the impression. It's just that I memorized it. It was like, oh, Agent Sterling. You think you can dissect me with your little, little tool? You're so ambitious, aren't you? But you know what you look like to me with your good bag and your cheap shoes? You look like a rogue. A wild horse in the road with a little taste. The magicians gave me a little info bone, but you're really not one more generation from pure white trash, are you, Agent Sterling? <laughs> and that accent you so desperately tried to share. Pure West Virginia. What was your father doing? Was he a coal miner? Did he stink of the lamb? You know, quickly the boys found you. All those tedious, sticky fumblings in the back seats of cars where you can only dream of getting out, getting anywhere, getting all the way to the FBI. <laughs> you sat down and memorized. Yeah, because I was a loser. What? Still am. That's what I did. I'd memorize your moments. impressions are quite good. You're it very, wasn't even you're very imp- good. Do you do your impressions in your stand-up act? Um, I have done. I've done a couple. You do a great Malkovich. I remember going. I remember going to the the premiere of uh, uh, Sorority Boys. <laughs> you were there. You were great in that. Uh, you know what? That's that it, was. You was that was a really. You. I like to call good, it a cult classic. It was. You know. I, I thought you were fantastic in that. And and but you whipped out this Malkovich impression when they introduced the cast at the front of the theater. I did. You did. How do you remember? It that? was fantastic. Did I? Right. Well, again, in the line of fire that I remember memorizing a scene. Yeah. You know, you have a rendezvous with my asshole, motherfucker. <laughs> now, what you couldn't possibly know, Frank, <laughs> is that they sent my friend, my comrade in yeah, arms yeah. to my home to kill me. I never <laughs> lied to you, Frank, and I never will. So let's go back to you. Did you? You had a good childhood, didn't you? You have loving parents. Um, it was mixed. Mixed. Yeah. Like how mixed were you? I have a, a, I have a great mother. She and I are very, very close, and and she has now uh, adopted my wife as her her new favorite. I think uh, if she had to choose between us, then she would kick me to the street. Really, and uh, she and my wife are real, uh, real buddies now. 
Inside of You is brought to you by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. This is an amazing platform. I use it on both podcasts. It has worked wonders for me. It's so amazing how easy it is to navigate. If you want to sell products, T-shirts, soap scents, whatever whatever it is, Ryan, you want to sell, this is the way to do it. Uh, you can see what your best seller is right there, analytics, uh, how much you're making this month, uh, what products are selling the best. It's really fantastic. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to, to the did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash inside, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash inside now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash inside. Inside of you is brought to you by Netflix. Battle Creek, Michigan, 1963. Kellogg's and Post, sworn cereal rivals, race to create a pastry that will change the face of breakfast forever. A wildly imaginative tale of ambition, betrayal, and menacing milkmen, sweetened with artificial ingredients. Unfrosted stars Jerry Seinfeld in his directorial debut. It features a supporting cast of comedy, greats, including Melissa McCarthy, Jim Gaffigan, Hugh Grant, Amy Schumer, Max Greenfield, Christian Slater, Sarah Cooper, Bill Burr, and many more. Friday, May 3rd, only on Netflix. But were they strict, your parents? You, you sound like strict. you just talk about your mother. Was your father there? Was he present in your life? Uh, my father passed away when I was 13. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. We never talked about that. Yeah. Do you remember? Uh, they were him quite they were quite strict well? but quite loving. Um uh a lot of that pressure went away when he passed away. What what is you know, I always think about that stuff. Like I my you know, my father's strict. He 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 had me when he was like nineteen, so it was pretty and then he had like my half brother who was like seven at the time. So he was like a kid trying mm-hmm. to raise four kids. By the time he's twenty five, he's got four kids. And it was very hard on him, but like, do you... My father was the opposite. My fa- I was the product of my father's second marriage. So he was, I was, he was 47 when I was born. And I realized much later in life through stories from my half-siblings who are all much older than me, I realized um, he was already pretty deep into the bottle by the time I was born. Oh, so he was an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. So you experienced that. You remember probably moments in your childhood, even... I mean, thirteens you can remember probably to your from your time you're five to your thirteen about mm-hmm. that. So you remember things, and you're looking mm-hmm. at me right now, sort of like I don't want to talk about it. It's a, it's I can hard kind to... of see that thing on your on your face because <laughs> like I know you. I've gotten bit. better about I've gotten better about uh, being able to talk about it. Formats like this are still like uh, it's it's questionable about how much you want to get into. No, look, cause we have family and yeah, I don't know. I, it, well, I look, I'm I, not saying I don't want to talk about it. It's just like, it's, it's, it's weird to suddenly be okay with talking about it. Yeah, I get that. And for many years for me, and this, this is what the show's become for me is like, I divulge so much information and that's me. I'm not as private as I probably should be. But, um, you know, I talk about, you know, I sort of forgive, I'm I'm a forgiving person. Yeah. And my dad's even admitted, look, I wasn't the best father. My mom said I wasn't the best mother. And I'm like, look, I love you. Moving on. You know, things happen the way they, there were things that happened. There were some great moments. And, you know, I think if you just dwell on things and you're like, oh, my childhood wasn't what it, I wanted it to be. Or right. if you don't become your own human being, which you've become, I've, I'm still trying. <laughs> I think that you, you just like, you know, it's, it's. I think it's a cop out to blame, to keep blaming. At, at, at some point in your yeah. life, 
I have to just go. Well, it's you that's carrying that shit around. Yeah, right? it's me. So what am I doing that for? Why am I wasting my life? And I just listened to this meditation this morning, and it was like the most profound little app. And it's 10 minutes because my attention span is like a fruit fly. And I, and I press play, and he just says this one thing. This will be simple to most people, but to me it sounded more complex. But he said, try to enjoy life. Hang on, there's more. Stop trying to just get through it. Mm. And it I profoundly spoke to me. And it just, I don't know what it was, but it was like, I feel like every day, how do I just get through this day? How do I just get through life? How do I just get through this? How do I make it through this thing? Instead of just going, hey man, just be here. Stop, stop just trying to get over with, you know, like this podcast. I want to be present with you. I want to just like enjoy this moment and then the next moment's the moment after that. That's why when I heard that you were doing a podcast, it was like a light bulb went off and I went, of course, that is exactly what Michael should be doing. I was <laughs> so happy to hear that you're doing a podcast because you and me, like, yeah, we're we're different in a lot of ways. You're much more outgoing than I am. I'm much more internal. Like we have different interests. But, but you're a goofball. Yeah, I'm a goofball. But we have a lot of similarities in the sense that maybe for different reasons. But I think it's difficult for both you and I sometimes to listen uh, because we're self centered fuckhead actors. I think a lot of people are and, like that. Yeah. And this forces you. This and my, forces my, me to for, listen. It forces you to listen. And I do one and it forces me to listen. Yeah. And I, that's the, the surprising thing that I got out of the process that I did not expect. That is amazing. You're absolutely right. And you, you know what? I'm learning more about humanity mm -hmm. by doing this, by talking to you and even talking to Rob, who says a few words every show. We're all damaged. We're all human beings that are flawed that are just trying to get through this thing. And how do we, but, but having this moment with you where we're just, I'm not thinking of like, Hey, I wonder if they responded to my tweet about <laughs> fucking, you know, mm -hmm. Alfred Hitchcock's birds, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? I, it, well, and it's also why you and I are, are probably more comfortable on stage, which is that weird, um, that, 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 weird paradox that we experience as as real people who are really actors and into this for the right reasons is is that strange place that we can get into in front of thousands and millions of people where we're more comfortable yeah. than less comfortable yeah. and that's a weird thing to experience but it's it's probably because it forces us into that place of 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 presence why was your mother so good what was it about her that made you who you are it sounds like w without going too deep, it sounds like your mother was your savior in a way. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. My mother uh, and I are are complete opposites in so many ways. She is really extroverted, uh, raconteur, the most popular person in any community that she's ever lived in. Uh, she's she is not unknown to dance on bars. Uh, she's <laughs> wow. She's uh she's a wild woman and forces me not to be so serious, but, but really the most important thing that she ever did was allow herself to be my best friend, especially after my father passed away. And it's probably one of the reasons I'm an actor is one of the things that we would do together is she would say, Hey, do you want to take a day off of school? Let's just go fuck around. And we'd go to the antique malls. One of the things that she and I did together is we, we, um, we would buy antique furniture and refinish it and resell it. And then, the end of the day, we'd always go to the movieplex, and we would just buy one ticket, and we'd go in, and we'd just skip from theater to theater and just wow. watch a bunch of movies back to back. And that's a, a love that we have shared for many years is uh, I always ask her what she's watching on Netflix. I just bought her an Apple TV when we were <laughs> in Florida and set it up for her, and I had to train her how to use the thing and quiz her on it. And then I filled her queue with all the movies that she hadn't seen yet that I think she should watch. And... um She's the toughest motherfucker I've ever met. In Does my she life. tell you exactly what she thinks when she thinks it? Does she want yes. no filter? Yeah, she has no filter. She's and she's she's deadly honest. What does uh, she? She know? might. She won't always tell me everything if she thinks it's going to bother me or if I'm busy. I have to drag things out of her sometimes, but she's deadly honest uh, about her opinion of my work. Even there was something obviously maternal, but you know some mothers when they lose their spouse can fold in a lot of ways. They could be more distant, but the fact that she was, she felt like, do you think she felt like she had to, like she really has to step up 
and sort of like I have to take over and be his anchor. Yeah. Yeah. And to be there for me to really, you know, when I lost my virginity, At, when I was 14 or 15, ooh. she's Rob, who, how old were you? 18. Yeah. 30. She's who I told, you know, like you told your mom. Yeah. 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 My, my mom took me to get the condoms and, wow. and, uh, my mom just assumed I'd never get laid. <laughs> That's pretty much it. She knew that I was, you know, I was an academic in school. I didn't have a ton of friends. I did have a small group of of close friends, but there was a weird transition time in around puberty when my father passed away. And um, I think she knew that there were like lots of holes in my life and uh, that I needed a friend as well as a mother. I was going to tell you, because I listened to your interview with, I'm sorry, the ice skater who we met. Tara Lipinski. Tara. We, had, we met, we met at the same time. Puerto Rico? In Mexico. Mexico, in Cancun. Yeah. That crazy, <laughs> that crazy trip to Mexico. Was that Gary Busey? Yes. I was going to tell you, I ran into him again. Oh, no. Because right. he's got to be crazier than he was. Well, well I, mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say crazy. Like, we're all crazy. I'm just saying he had a plate put in his head. So he had a car ac- or a motorcycle accident or whatever. So he's not, he just like, obviously he's a different person than he was before the motorcycle accident. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. He and he, when we first got to Mexico, he hated me. He did not like me at all. He didn't like me. Do you remember when he said he's? I thought I'd heard he was from Tennessee. It turned out he's from Texas, and that did not go over well. So I'm from Texas, and they walked away. I was like, oh god. And then we had that. You, I don't think you were there the opening night, but the opening night there was this like contest where you had to walk. You could had to walk this like shaky beam over the pool to try and grab this tequila bottle of tequila. And I managed to do it, right? And then I was like his best friend. And uh, we all hung out. We went out every night. And and <laughs> yeah, that time when we were at the club and we were standing in the circle with And I was yelling friends. at I was like going, hey, it, you know. And for like, some, you're yelling my ear again. I'll kick your ear. I got a steel plate in my head. If you yell at me again, I'm going to knock you down. Like Gary, nobody like, nobody yelled in your ear. I was... <laughs> I was, at oh, one, really? I was at one event once, and he just goes, all right, come over here. We're going to have a circle prayer. I'm like, and Tom Arnold's there. He's like, no, we're not going to have a fucking circle prayer. Get the, you crazy fuck. What are you doing? That's what he said to Gary. So, so what the fuck's at, wrong with you? So I was, at a, I, was at a, I was at a screening at the Cinema Society in New York, and there's Gary Busey sitting on a couch outside the theater. And I was like, he's never going to remember me. But all right, I got I to gotta, I gotta try this. I got to go. So I went over to Gary and I kneeled down next to the couch. And I said, "Gary, uh, I, you I, you may not remember me, I'm Anson, but we were on that trip to to Mexico together." And he went, "I've never been to Mexico." It's like, um, <laughs> and I was suddenly I was at a loss. He's like, "Gary Busey doesn't remember he was in Mexico." Okay, so I, I was I what? But I was never in Mexico. No, no, but you, but you, you were nope, nope, never Mexico. And we were hanging out and like me and. You know, Michael Rosenbaum and Jonathan Silverman. And he went, Jonathan Silverman. Wait a second. I have been to Mexico. <laughs> you remember Jonathan Silverman. I love that Jonathan Silverman was He his, was the trigger he, point. Was the trigger. You know Jonathan Silverman? <laughs> you don't know him? He was in Weekend at Bernie's. A single guy. Great good guy. friend of mine. Great guy. Really good. You should have him on the show, man. He's got oh, some Oh, yeah. Stories. Silverman will definitely do. because I think he may have moved to Vancouver. Wait, he, he, he was like a regular at the Playboy Mansion. Now he married uh, our friend Jen. Lovely. Yeah, kid. Great. I got to call yeah, him. Yeah. But speaking of the Playboy Mansion, your dad was an editor of Playboy? He was. He was. So yeah. did he go to pl- the Playboy Mansion a lot? No, because you got to understand. So when my father st- first started working for Playboy... Okay, this is this is a good story. So my father, he was in the VA hospital during all of Korea with tuberculosis, and he had been in World War II. But he was in he was in the VA hospital. They were cutting out pieces of his lung during Korea, and all he had to do was play banjo, paint, and fuck around, right? So he read about this short story writing contest, and the winner was going to be published in the first issue of this brand new magazine called Playboy. And so he wrote uh, a short story and submitted it, and he won. And he got published in the first issue of Playboy. And they, they wow. called him up and said, um, you can't enter any more of our contest because you've already won one. But when you get out of the hospital, we'd like to offer you a job. So on a lark, nobody knew who, what Playboy was or was going to be. On a lark, he got out of the VA hospital in Florida, and he 
moved up to Chicago and he actually had to drive a cab to supplement his income because they weren't making any money. There was just a half a floor of office cubicles in Chicago. And because my father had gone to an Episcopal school, they made him the religion editor because Hef was very smart. He saw, he knew that that magazine was going to cause a controversy. And rather than invite a boycott, he wanted to invite a conversation. Very smart. So my father was in charge of inviting the clergy to write articles. And for a while, and I still have some of these, they would publish an, a version of Playboy without the pictures for the clergy. And the, the, this started, this the Playboy Forum was, was wow. where anybody who wanted to submit a, an idea on religion or morality or modern ethics could. And this is obviously part of what helped to lead up to the sexual revolution. And around that time, around 68, I wow. think, uh, the conversation had kind of petered out and half had the idea for the pigskin preview. Uh, he's like, we're men's magazines. We don't, we don't have any articles about sports. We need one. Who knows here, who here knows anything about sports? And nobody raised their hand. My father said, why? Well, you know, I, I watch the games on Saturdays sometimes. And he said, that's it. We're killing religion. You're taking college football. Go. What? And my father freaked out because he's he'd never been a sports writer. He didn't. He was a biology major. But he had to learn fast. So, yeah, what he did was, well, this is very smart of me. He contacted every sports athletic director at every major program in the country. And he said, if you'll fill out this questionnaire, I'll get you a subscription. So he ended up, he knew who was going to make grades, who was a trouble, who was, who was getting in trouble, who was uh, getting injured. And he ended up being the best football prognosticator in the business. Wow. Yeah. So is your dad making pretty good money or not really? I mean, okay. okay. We were upper like, middle class by Tennessee's, right. you know, we moved down to Tennessee when I, when I was like three years old. Where I mean, did you, and, did you always want to be an actor? How did that happen? Um, God, that's a good question. I mean, was did it really go? Was it, what it had was to be high it? school? Oh, yeah. So when I got to high school, I was miserable in junior high. The, the first junior high I'd gone to, I was horribly picked on. And then I went to the larger junior high in our county. Like picked on, beat up yeah, on. Yeah, I was me. a very late bloomer. You know, I was the kid with braces and glasses who got shoved in the trash cans at lunch. Ugh. And I went to, and I, I transferred high schools, and it took me a while to realize. Um, I was not, I was not making very good grades and I, and it took me a while to realize it was because I was bored because I realized all the best teachers, like I was in advanced mathematics, but I was not in advanced anything else. And I realized all the best teachers were teaching the advanced classes. So when we, at this time, when you went from junior high to high school and there was only one high school in the entire County, there was no system in place to look at your, what you had taken beforehand. So you could take whatever you wanted. So I just arbitrarily signed up for every advanced placement course and my grades improved and the people in these, it was a much smaller group of students in these courses and that became my group of friends and they were all doing theater. And so I wanted to hang out with them more. So I auditioned for a play. They were doing 12 angry men mm. and I was cast as the guard. Perfect. And even though I had this like th tiny little throwaway role, I remember the first time I walked on the stage for a performance like it was yesterday. The feeling you got. I mean. The energy. It, it was like, it was that lightning bolt moment they talk about when they talk about love at first sight. It was like being struck by a lightning bolt. Like you belong. There. Yeah. I mean, it was that clear. Wow. And so I had a talk with my, my wrestling coaches and I was like, look, I want to do this. Rehearsals sometimes conflict. And I was lucky enough to have football, uh, wrestling coaches who told me, if this is what you want to do, you need to make that your priority. So I was That's able to crazy. do both and I joined the, the speech and debate team and I did dramatic interpretation. I went to nationals my senior year. Jesus. I applied to my father's alma mater, Suwannee, which had a very small, but very good theater department because Tennessee Williams had left his entire state to the theater department. So they sent me to New York to study on financial aid for a short time, which gave me, which made me realize I know nothing. And if I want to actually do this, I need to learn how to act. So I applied to graduate school and I got in. And I feel like, you know, when you talk about that, it's like if you everybody has like this one teacher, I guarantee if I looked at Rob, there's one teacher or a couple teachers. You had the most success in a class because you liked the teacher. You were interested. You just enjoyed being there. Right, Rob? Yeah. I'm yeah, guessing an, art, and I'm an art teacher, like an that. art teacher. You just felt like I like this. That was me. Mr. Morrow. 
Mr. Morrow came in as a substitute teacher because someone was, was this in high school, in high school, and it was like all of a sudden a C and D student was getting a B in history mm-hmm. because he was interested. And now the theater teacher, she was just kind of like fun and laid back, and we could do stupid things and read a couple plays. And I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Yeah, this is fun. And the yeah. more you'd have fun doing any fucking thing, yeah, the better you are. And yeah. that's that's life. I think it was Randy and Glenda Sullivan. Uh, Randy and married, Glenda, married couple. Randy ran the the theater classes in the theater department, and Glenda was actually a Latin teacher, but she coached speech and debate after hours. All of the best influence that I got, all the best encouragement I got, and the best early training I got was not during class hours. It was during the hours these this couple was staying after school putting in the extra work because they loved their students and they saw potential and they encouraged us to do this. Um, and lucky, lucky enough, I, was, I had a mother who told me to do what she was. She, she followed her passion as a professional golfer for a long time. And she told me to follow mine. Are you a good golfer? No, but I also was not a good actor and I didn't thank God. I didn't realize it at the time. I, you know, Oof. I go back and I look at they, they. You know, some of my stuff I did in high school was on tape, and oh my god, that bad. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If I was bad, this is the reality. I did Greece in high school. I was kind of forced to do a play, or they wouldn't let me take another drama class. And drama was so easy that I took finally auditioned and I got this part, and I was petrified. What happened was at the end of the play, everybody comes out one by one and they clap. You know, they applaud. The and I didn't have a huge part. It was Vince Fontaine, the DJ, and I remember I walked out. And all of a sudden, this thunderous applause, like I was one of the lead roles. Hmm. And it changed me. I felt like, oh, my God, I belong. This is me. I Not being me is the best. And I've talked about this. But kids going, dude, you're really funny. If I didn't get that response yeah. on that first play and that first part, I was out. Yeah. I was out. I was going to like, I can't do this. This is too scary. I was so scared. I still remember all my lines from that play. 30 years ago because I was so scared and I still have that mentality of like I gotta know them I gotta know the lines I gotta know I gotta I put so much fucking pressure on myself that same thing happened to me man I remember doing a a presentation of part of one of our plays my senior year I remember it was David Ford the guy my nemesis in grade school the guy that would constantly like sucker me into fights and uh and he was bigger than me and he was huge in high school he's he was huge. He was a lineman. And he came up to me and he was like, you're really funny, man. You're really good. It changed your whole life. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. you, shit like that changes so maybe your I'm, life. Maybe I'm just still doing this to impress David Ford. I have no idea. I mean, look, you've worked with De Niro. You've worked with Anthony Hopkins. And I, I definitely want to hear more stories about like De Niro and shit. But like, like Star Trek. This is, <laughs> yeah. this is like, in a way, what I went through with Smallville where it was like, uh, you know, Gene Hackman plays, you know, Lex Luthor, you're going to fail. You know, you don't have, like, there was so much, I mean, there is pressure, but I didn't know anything about comic books and I didn't know really anything. Other, I, I follow, I, look, you look up here, right here, yeah. all Fangoria magazines and right. horror books, books on horror. And that's what I love. And so I think it was my naivete or my ignorance of just not knowing or aware of how serious this was where I was like, Hey. I'll do this. I wasn't trying to emulate someone where I just go, okay, I'm going to just read the lines. I'm going to say the lines. I'm going to be real. I'm going to be grounded. I'm going to do this. And I'm nervous as shit, but whatever. Yeah. Because really, Captain Pike is, I don't know if you know this, Rob, but Captain Pike is before Captain Kirk. They shot a pilot for the original Star Trek, right? And tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. But Jeffrey Hunter. This is the actor. Right. And then they recast William Shatner to play Captain Kirk, not Captain Pike. But Captain Pike was now a disfigured character in like a. Well, they ended up using footage from the pilot from the pilot for a like flashback episode, right? And called the Menagerie. And so, yeah. So it this thanks Troy Rudolph for really educating me on this whole thing. Pike is of all of the really revered Star Trek characters, he's the probably the one that we knew the least about. But I, when I auditioned, you know, I had auditioned for the the captain from the first season, Lorca, and they'd hired uh, Jason Isaacs, and it was the right Jason decision. Jason I worked He's with. A, I'm a, I actually was a fan of his. And so when they came back for, the, for they came to me for this uh, role, I didn't know what I was auditioning for. I, I thought it was called Captain Parker in the sides because they were keeping everything undercover. Right. So when I found, when I got cast and I found out it was Pike, I was like, oh, wow, I guess it better be good. For somehow... Oh, after doing this for so many years, 
I've kind of learned what is going to help me and what's not going to help me. What's not going to help you? Uh, being intimidated or being starstruck or be, feeling pressure or, or wondering, worrying about what other wondering what think. they're going to think. Yeah, it just doesn't serve me. So just knowing that, I guess, kind of lets a lot of the nerves go. But you say that. Now, I believe you, first and foremost. But isn't there some of that? You're saying it, but there is a little bit of that just lingering in the back of your head. Deep there, you're like, I'm saying well, this, and I'm going to be confident, <laughs> and I'm going to meditate, and I'm confident, and fuck this, but I kind of care. Well, you know, you I do, you mentioned De Niro before, you know, and like, if you go, you look at that movie, City by the Sea, I will readily admit it's some of my worst work ever in that movie, because I was so intimidated by being on screen with De Niro that I was afraid of moving a muscle that that he didn't approve of. Not that he was uh, dictating anything, but I was just scared shitless to do anything because I was afraid it would be wrong. And then when I saw that and I was disappointed in my work, uh, I was like, okay, I all can't right. let that interfere. I anymore. have to make decisions. I have to make clear choices. I have to have a clear point of view. I have to decide what wow, the yeah. role is for me. It's not doing you any good. Exactly. And did neither ever, is being starstruck. Did he ever say anything like, no, oh, this is, you're great, Anson. Oh, He's nice. a, he, uh, he's a really, no, he's not like that. I mean, I'm sure he, he would, uh, he's, he's quite when he's, at least when he's working, he's quite, he's not, a unapproachable, but he's, um, he does his thing. internal, he's more internal than I am. Nice guy. Really, really lovely. He doesn't know his guy. When I did need to talk to him about something, he was completely there. Really, uh, I even you... brought, I even did the freshman thing of bringing DVDs for him to sign, you know, and he brought me into his trailer and like, and in the beginning, and he was like, you know, ooh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. daring because I wake always wait to the very last day because like I could just see him going asking me, you know, that's walking, but like asking me for autographs and like you know, that could be like I remember I told you the story of uh, what's the guy who's the Punisher, the guy from Walking Dead, great yeah, actor, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. This guy went into De Niro's trailer at the end and goes, "Hey, I just he goes, I just want to say that uh, you're a legend to me. You're like, and I really, I just want to say thank you." And De Niro's up, excuse me, you don't have to do this right now. Don't do this. Don't do this. He's like, no, no, you don't understand. You have to let me say this. I want to get it out. And he's like. It's okay though. You don't have to. Let me. And he kept going, and I go, "Well, then it was great, right?" And he goes, like, "He was like, no, it was the most uncomfortable. I wish I never had done that. Why did I do that? The moment was just like because they're like, hey, you're here. You've made it. I've done this before. I went up to Sandra Bullock and John Cusick. They were with. I was talking to somebody, and they came up to me at the Laker game. And Sandra Bullock goes, oh my God, you're so funny. And I'm like, oh, did you see a movie I was in? He goes, no, I saw you in Cribs. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah. And then Kusek came by. And all of a sudden I'm starstruck. I got Sandra Bullock. It's like 2000, early 2000s. Sandra Bullock and Kusek next to me. And I'd work with Kusek. I go, hey, we did a movie together. And I just, you could feel that I was a fan. Mm. And I just can tell that they kind of were like, okay. <laughs> and they kind of started talking and like excluded me in a in a nice way like we're done. and I walked away going I don't belong and that's part of my problem I've always felt like I don't belong even though I feel like I'm good uh, I feel like I still feel like I don't that's why 95% of my friends aren't actors mm -hmm. they're like Rob who's a regular guy or my friend Tom or my well, friend such a, I just I'm intimidated I, I don't know I can't live out here because it's just such a popularity contest happening in the background of things I feel like it's high school yeah. And, and so my relationship with Los Angeles is so much better now that I don't live here. I come in, get my meetings scheduled back to back. I see the friends I want to see like yourself. I play around a golf and then I go home. See, I'm thinking about that. I don't want to live in my office. Yeah. It's the other thing. And things that used to bug me about LA. Tell me. I now find charming. Like last night, I was I'm I'm at the I was at the Beverly Wilshire, right? And I'm at the bar and I've got like my drink in front of me. I got my papers spread out and there's this piano player that's singing strangers in the night. And he starts doing lounge scat. You know what I'm talking about? He, strangers he starts, in the zoopy, zoopy, zoop. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. Okay, right. Zoopy, 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 zoop. <laughs> and you loved it. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, you know, like a few years ago, if I still lived here, I would be like, motherfucker. 
And now I'm kind of like, this is awesome. This is exactly what Los Angeles should be. Maybe and, I should move. And the guy sitting next to me in the sequin jacket is exactly the jacket he should be wearing, you know? Because it's, it's, there is a wonderful kind of cool history about this town that I really dig. And I, I had lunch at the Polo Lounge. And now you're seeing it from the outside. Right, yeah. And I was at, I got to, I, got, I went and had lunch at the Polo Lounge with these, these guys. And, and, and it's just like, you're, you know, you're walking into history. And it's the same restaurant it's been since the Burt Reynolds. I mean, since George Burns was there next to, you know, his his posse and, and, and the pictures. Uh, it's it's just a it's it can be a, a really nice place, uh, but you got to know where to look also. Yeah. And, Zach, you know, Zach Levi, my buddy, he's he's uh, name drop, but lives in Austin. Yeah. And he says it just changes your whole perspective and changes your life. I think maybe I eventually should probably move. There's a lot of lot of actors in Austin. You, do you think I should move, there's Rob? No, there's no... Yeah. <laughs> you do? Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> there's no income tax in Texas, which is why a lot of them have... I should be a song. There's no income tax in Texas. Yeah. kind of flows. Yeah. Um, so what... Are you, are you you're obviously going to say yes, but you're proud of Star Trek Discovery? Oh hell yeah! You loved it. Was it hard? Well, I mean, work? I'm, I came to it as a fan. I, I, you know, the original series was in uh, syndication on my local EHF channel when I was like eight, and they would run them every Sunday night, six o'clock, and they ran them for several years. So I've seen every episode. What's your favorite episode? Well, my favorite episode of the original is probably the I forget the name of the episode but it's the battle with the Gorn. Kirk has to figure out how to make gunpowder and the, yeah. shoot the Gorn with the with the bamboo. I like the one where Spock goes on that like they on this planet where they, the flower or something makes him just all happy and lost in yeah. love. <laughs> but go ahead. But my favorite episode of Star Trek in general has got to be from the next generation. I think it's called the Inner Light, but it's the one where they find this space probe floating in the middle of the universe and and uh, a beam comes through the ship and it knocks him unconscious and he wakes up and he's a different person on a different on a planet with a family and a whole history and then he sort of gets lost in this problem that they have with the environment and trying to fix it and he goes through this whole life and he becomes an old man and he's got grandchildren and then he they send off the the probes to find uh, to to let people know that they were once there and then he dies and he wakes up on the bridge and it's been five minutes unconscious. Did you cry? And, Was and it then sad? Yeah, yeah, it almost they capture the probe in the enterprise and they open it and there's a flute inside and he had learned to play flute in his dream. Oh, and he picks wow. up the flute and he starts playing. the. Rob flute. is so bored now because he doesn't know one fucking thing about Are you Star serious? Trek. I didn't watch Star Trek. No, well, you're young. You're 29, 30. Yeah, but uh, dude, it's a it's a huge thing. Do you? So ever, I'm, a tr- I'm a true fan. Do you? You are. Do true you ever find fan. yourself in there like action? Do you ever go, look, I have. Do you ever jump into a Kirk? You have to every once no, in a while. No, on, no, I, wanted... I, I kind of stole his a little bit of his swagger, his way that he sits in the captain's chair. Really? Yeah. And I had dinner with Shatner a month or two ago, and uh, we just talked about horses. He's a horse guy. That's that's all he's in. You know my favorite movie of his? Watch Kingdom of the Spiders. Small town where the spiders, the tarantulas just invade. That's mm. oh, one of my favorites. Don't know it. I used to watch it at the Camacho house all the time when I was I'm trying a kid. to get him I'm trying to get him on my podcast. Yeah, I just wanna I I don't want to talk to him about acting or Star Trek. I just want to talk about horses. I think that'll be really cool. so, yeah. Yeah. Well that's what my podcast does. We, yeah. We don't it's, want something our guest is not our guest on our show. Our yeah. guest is how our guest thinks creatively or what is it that they go to that's their that's their source for creative energy or how do they force themselves to think outside the box that's all we want to know about uh because i I just get tired of i don't know i don't want to hear interviews with the same questions or you know and it can be a little bit it can be a little bit difficult interviewing celebrities because i think that we get used to just assuming that we're interesting well, you know, for me, is it's not that, uh, you know, I always talk about, like, actors and stuff. It's like, you know, for that moment when I just saw, saw you, and that, I was interrogating you, but I saw this vulnerability in you. And mm. this way you looked at me mm. in the beginning of our conversation when we talked about your dad a little bit. And there's, like, there's certain trigger points where I feel like you get to really know someone and what they went through. And, like, I saw your eyes light up when you talked about your mom and the things you would do together. 
And to me, that's what this is about. This mm-hmm. is about like, hey, how do you find happiness when you face such adversity when you were growing up? We all face adversity, some less than others, but how do we get through it? Your mom helped you get through it. Yeah. You're, she's proud of you. She loves you. She's hard on you because she loves you. And, you know, it's like you find that special person that, you know, we all hope that we had that one person that helps us get through it. And yeah. there's always a couple. If you don't have a couple of fans, whether it's in the uh, casting director who believes in you because no other fucking casting director does, and mm-hmm. I have that, or my grandfather who was like a father figure who now has Alzheimer's, and it's like the worst thing in the world to oh, see. Oh, man. Because, yes, this could just be a, a regular, like, you know, it yeah, could my- be all about Star Trek and hell on wheels. And, I, you know, we touch on that stuff. But, like, I want to know, is like, does Anson Mount get nervous before every take? Are you confident, so confident now that you don't get nerves anymore? Well, speaking of what you just said, you know, my stepfather is going through that right now. And we, we just uh, had to place him in a memory care, memory care facility. And that was, uh, that's been an interesting process. Uh, it's, it's so hard. It's Incredibly. So hard. It's not like death. It's a, it's a, it's, a, it's almost more difficult and hard. It's a slow death. Yeah. And, and it's scary because there but for the grace of god go we um it could be our future yeah well you know i always say that it's that my grandmother had alzheimer's my grandfather now has alzheimer's her son you know my yeah, dad it's in my family too my dad yeah. and my brother and i all, all like oh shit what's gonna happen and so we're like eating more blueberries and eating more ginkgo below but we're like just fucking mediterranean diet my friend that's what they say i i got my i did my genetic testing and found out i have one of the two markers for early onset alzheimer's Really? It doesn't mean I'm going to get it, but I'm, it means I'm somewhat more likely to get it. So the one thing that all the doctors can agree on is shift to a Mediterranean diet. Really? So now I do, if I do red meat, it's once a month. So chicken, rice, beans, black fish, beans, fish. Rob, wine, do you hear this? Wine is fine. Can olive, we do this? Olive oil. Yeah. Can we do this together, the Rob? Gre- the Greek sure. diet. Is, the Greek diet. Yeah. How do you deal with anxiety? How do you deal with pressure on yourself? How do you deal with... Um, a balance in your life with your your now wife who you know is the light of your life how do you balance your work your life and not let anxiety consume you do you get anxiety do you do you do anything about it do you take any pills are you just kind of a natural guy do you you don't need sleeping pills i mean because that's like the story of hollywood right right um i don't know man i i i know that i'm i'm best when I'm busy. I learned some time ago that for the sake of my own sanity and this crazy up and down business that we have and the job insecurity we have, that the one thing I need consistently in my life is that I need to be creating all the time. If I'm not creating, and it doesn't need to be acting, if I'm not creatively doing something every day, something's wrong. So hence the podcast, hence my writing, hence the show, the show, trying to sell my own stuff, you know, just, just, I, it, I, I do know that, that, that I need to feel productive. Marriage is a very new thing. We just got married a little, no, less than a year ago. You know, she's very busy too. Cause she decided to go back to university. She's finishing up this semester, but the balance thing is going to be a, a question mark that we're going to have to tackle together because as you know, this thing, this job puts us in success, puts us on the road quite a bit. Yeah. And thank God I have a wife who's patient with that and is supportive of that. And is, um, he, she, she gets, she gets the, um, she knows what the she's sacrifices as well. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And she's a very strong, self-sufficient, independent woman. Uh, so it's uh, it's been it's been a really good work-life balance with her so far. You know, kids, I'm sure, will change that somewhat. Um, but that we got a few years to go before we get there. We're gonna try to get all the traveling out of the way first. I, I look at you, and I still think I mean, you're a pretty sensitive person. Do you do you cry a lot? Uh, I say oh. that because I. I I just cried at this movie, The Writer, R-I-D-E-R. Oh, yeah. Did yeah, you see that? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, no, my God. So I think yeah. it's the best movie of the year and no one knows about yeah, it. Yeah, my, my, I think my wife will say that I, I cry quite. I'm, I'm, uh, I can be quite an emotional uh, person. I think uh, more so than I used to. I think I had big blocks <laughs> against that. 
I was always intimidated when I had to be emotional in a scene because I didn't know how it And finally I just said, you know, whatever. I'm just going to listen to the person in front of me and see what happens. Um, but yeah, I can be, I can be a big softy. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like, I just lost a dog. We we, we oh, lost our, our dog. Don't even go recently. there. Yeah, and that was the hardest thing I've ever done, had to do in my life. That's your child, man. It was really hard for us because Dara's Canadian, but she's in the United States and under we're we're in the middle of her green card application, so she couldn't come to where I was in Canada. So you were alone during to this. To be there, it was harder for her, I think, because she had to. You know, we we had to go in and have it done and she had to watch on facetime oh my god that was very on. hard oh yeah i can't even imagine my dog irv is getting quite old and it's like i see him slowing down and mm. you know you try to be sensitive at times sometimes he's now barking incessantly and i'm like where did this come from stop and you get annoyed and you're like dude he's yeah. he's aging you just gotta well look man this has been incredible uh where can we find you on twitter at anson mounts and my podcast is The Well Pod. It's at The Well Pod. Right, The Well Pod, but you can find it on what? iTunes, Stitcher, every, any any place you download podcasts. We're all over the place. Yeah, check it out, guys. Check it out. Anson's a fantastic guy. Instagram, same thing? Yep. Uh, on Instagram, we're The Well Podcast, but I'm at Anson Mount. And where do we find Star Trek Discovery? That is CBS All Access. Pretty fantastic. I'm going to check it out. You guys should definitely check that out. Anson Mount, thank you for allowing me to be inside of you. This has been a real treat, man. I learned more about you. I've known you for 20 years, and I learned more about you today than I think I ever have. It's good to, it's good to see you. It's been too long. It is, buddy. Much love to you. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.